In partnership with Paizo, the No Direction Network welcomes you to our PaizoCon Online 2020 seminar coverage. While you enjoy your PaizoCon Online 2020 seminar recordings, remember that these were recorded online and that some minor audio and connection issues are to be expected. And we're back. Welcome to PaizoCon 2020 Online. PaizoCon Online 2020. I'm one of your hosts, Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param, and I'm joined by Ryan Costello. Costello from the No Direction Network. Does, uh, not Dustin Knight, uh, John Godek. Not, yeah, I'm somebody different, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Vanessa Hoskins. I am the very model of a modern game freelancer. Ooh. And of course, and joined Smith, by uh, Peyton Smith. There you go. We always mess it yeah. up every Nailed time. Every Finally. Time. Oh yeah. Every no, no. We have messed it up for almost three hundred episodes every time. What? We'll get no. it one day. One day. One day we'll all get it right. But I am Peyton Smith. I am Paizo, uh, Paizo social media producer. And uh, welcome back to PaizoCon. Uh, it's finally Friday, fellas. Like it's we're almost there. Uh, just so everyone is aware, uh, for the beginning of the stream and stuff like that, we won't be here tomorrow, but on Sunday, we'll be having our closing ceremony. Tomorrow's going to be a day full of gaming. I'm pretty sure a lot of people are finally getting off work and able to kind of take some time to come down and finally play some society games. And, uh, I think we kind of need to get a couple, um, a couple games in ourselves. I haven't actually, you, you know what? I've never got to play in a society game. Oh, wow. Never. Yeah. Never got to. I mean, I'm awfully busy, unfortunately, because right. as soon as this intro ends, I'm now rushing over to do a whole bunch of other stuff. Mm -hmm. And even after all the con and stuff, I saw you do a lot of background stuff. So I never get a chance to really sit down and play society games. So, and I think you guys got to play some. So I would like to hear in proxy of you guys how how is that like? Like how is that? Because I'm super curious to hear your guys' impressions of how those games are ran. Uh, the... Well, I got my start. I was going to say, I got my start on Society. That's sort of how I got into the whole Paizo freelancing biz and everything. Um, I was a venture captain for several years. And let me tell you, I am a big fan. Uh, it is great for the person like you who is so busy you don't get a chance to game normally because you don't have to worry about, oh, it's my normal gaming group and we game every other Friday. And is it this Friday? I think I have something to do. Instead, you can just pick it up wherever you have time. And you're like, hey. I've got a free time this weekend. I'm going to do some society game at my local game store. It's all episodic, so you have a beginning, middle, and end of your story by the time you leave the table. It's very satisfying. And you can pick up and play your character anywhere in the world. So if they drag you along to a convention somewhere across the U.S. or anywhere around the world, really, you can play that same character at a table with uh, all new people and meet some new folks. And if you don't even have a character, you can grab one of the pre-gens and just uh, play that at the drop of a hat. And you get to take, uh, and you do get some credit for your actual uh, character after the fact. It is also a lot more plot focused and mission focused because you know that there's time constraints, you know that there's a lot more uh, concessions to how this is supposed to run. And so the social contract kind of is asking everyone to like focus on what's going on, try to uh, not get distracted and just, uh, you know, follow the mission and trust that you are not going to be betrayed by your quest giver. 
Yeah, yeah one I, of the things I like uh, a lot about Society Games, especially at conventions, is actually meeting people from around the world and around the country and things like that. You know, for this particular convention, because it's all online, I've been playing uh, with uh, folks from the UK quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. We had yesterday a guy who was our GM, and he was playing a character, and uh, it was he did a really good job. He, he sounded a lot like Paul McCartney playing a, an NPC, and I, I told him afterwards, it was like one of the most amazing uh, portrayals I've seen in, as a GM. He could just do a lot, especially online here. And that man's name was Paul McCartney. <laughs> so yes, he was actually Michael, joined but, by yeah. my uh, animal companion here, Scarlet, who loves making cameos <laughs> on the podcast, has been making cameos uh, since she was a baby. Wait, is that an mm-hmm. accidental advanced player's guide spoiler? <laughs> yes, you can be joined by children on your death-defying <laughs> adventures. What everyone's always been asking for. You're getting a lot of people in chat saying, oh, and waving at you, Scarlet. You can say hi. Hi, Scarlet. Hi, hi Scarlet. All right, so uh, in, fur- in further on for the panels that we're having today, I think everyone's going to be super excited because we have the Advanced Player Guides panel today. Along with a whole bunch of awesome, amazing stuff. So I'm going to pull up my schedule. Uh, right after this, we have the World of Galarian panels. If you always want to know more about the World of Galarian and all the Pathfinder, uh, say, for example, there's maybe... <laughs> that, uh, say, for example, that... Uh, say, say for example, you want to know anything about you know the World of Galarian or any particular lore bit about it or maybe just any question about any future stuff for mm-hmm. it, that is the panel to go to. A lot of the, a lot of the lore masters are going to be there. Right after that, at uh, 2 or at 12, my bad, uh, PDT, uh, we are also going to have the Advanced Player Guide panel. So the super big event that I know a lot of people have been looking forward to. I'm looking uh, forward to it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely know that a lot of things are going to get revealed. So mm-hmm. I'm super excited to see what's there because there's even stuff in there that I probably don't even know yet. It's in the, and I even have the PDF at that point of the what? entire thing. So send, send that over to me. Send just. <laughs> You see, and I can't, and I like working here so far, so I think I need to. But I really gotta see that swashbuckler. I really want to see how it turns out. Swashbuckler's my favorite. You can see the swashbuckler being played on the Band of Bravo stream that's going to be happening right after the Pathfinder Adventures panel. Uh, The the Adventures panel will be after. uh, It'll start at two p.m. PDT or Pacific Time Zone. And to where mm-hmm. we'll be revealing even more stuff about potential uh, new adventure paths and different things about the uh, even more Starfinder adventure, uh, excuse me, adventure paths and everything else. And then right after after that, you can get your swashbuckling action with a uh, Rourke Thunderbird <laughs> that uh, Jason Keeley's playing in the Band of Bravo stream, where you can also see me as Lawn Bonds and where we will basically be tortured by our director of game design, uh, Jason Bowman, as he... Uh, tries to annihilate me with villain points because I'm sure all of chat is going to do everything they can to make sure Lorne does not survive in that game. And yes, uh, chat, that is the, the cursed game. I don't know what is with our games with uh, mm-hmm. using Roll20 and stuff, but we always roll worse every time mm-hmm. we use a hero point. So this has been a uh, constant so, so what about the swashbuckler so, you've been super interested in? Well, I always like Dexy classes. Um, almost every time mm-hmm. I build a melee, that's my first instinct is to build a Dex class. Even if I take something like the fighter that can go either way, I'm like, no, I'm going to build a strength-based character. By the end of the day, it turns out Dex-based anyway. Um, and the swashbuckler is the ultimate 
dex-based melee fighter, um, melee combatant, and they're great at moving around the battlefield and tumbling and swinging, and those are all things that I just absolutely love in my in my martial characters. So the swashbuckler is perfect for me. Um, I'm playing with the playtest rules right now on Roll for Combat's Three Ring Adventure, and mm -hmm. I am loving it so much. I can't wait to see what more goodness they add to the class in live. So I am just chomping at the bit to get this book. Right. And for fans of uh, No Direction, uh, if you've been listening to us for a long time, there used to be this list we kept of concepts that could not be easily created in Pathfinder. Uh, uh, like there was like this short list of things that probably needs class support. And uh, Splashbuckler was on that list for a very, very long mm -hmm. time. Uh, Eric Mona even uh, brought it up during some of the interviews that we had with him. And then we were so happy when it got crossed off that list. So I'm very, very happy it's getting crossed off super early this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, I've just been, when I was concepting my swashbuckler character, uh, I was trying to think about her as a rogue, not quite combative enough, as a fighter, not quite maneuverable enough. And uh, I was so glad when it's like, okay, I got permission to use uh, the play test until the real one comes out. Because, oh my gosh, swashbucklers are so cool. But uh, there's several other uh, classes uh, being in the okay. Advanced Pillars Guide. I mean, uh, which everybody's super excited about which. Uh, mm -hmm. What other ones so should we look in? Believe you looking well, the Oracle's to. in there. And the Oracle, when it was announced, I was really surprised because it felt like between uh, how the Cleric was built and how the Sorcerer was changed to allow for any... Uh, tradition of magic i really didn't expect to ever see the oracle again i thought it was already mm -hmm. covered but then when we play tested all of the apg classes i was the one that played the oracle and even though i generally do not like casters i had a ball that was uh, such a fun class to play with mm -hmm. allowed me to make adjustments on the fly to my tactics i was playing a dwarf oracle so it wasn't even the ideal ancestry for that class and it's still like it was so flexible it was so fun and uh, i'm I might roll up another Oracle as soon as I get the APG. Yeah, I was super the neat thing about the, uh, I'll probably say in our two, but the neat thing about the Oracle is that, um, as we were kind of sitting down in our, in our meeting rooms, so just a little behind the scenes stuff for you guys as well, is that, um, as we were sitting down, they were kind of deciding who's going to be the iconic for the Oracle. And, uh, because I think it was getting adjusted or changed or so, because I remember there was mm. discussion on it and I kind of, and they settled on the Tingu. And I kind of wrote, oh, is this like a brand new character or something? It's like, nope, it's actually been in our covers before. It's just that now we get to tell people, like, as it's coming up, go look for it in one of the covers. I can't exactly what, can't remember what cover it was, yeah. but you can actually see that same Tingu that is now an Oracle in one of the previous covers in the Pathfinder's first edition. So I do so, know, should I spoil it or should I leave it as a... No, you can say, uh, you can say no, what it is, it's fine. It's the Advanced Race Guide yeah, from first one. edition. Very cool. And then, of yep. course, the fourth class that they're releasing is the Investigator, which I know a lot of people are super hyped for because yes. the Investigator is the ultimate skill class. They have mm -hmm. all sorts of fantastic abilities to share bonuses with other party members. So when you're doing that role play part of the adventure where you're looking around for clues, yeah, the Investigator is awesome, but it's not just like, oh, I'm playing the Barbarian. I have no skills for this. The Investigator can go, hey... You can help me with this and give you bonuses so you can actually make a, a contribution. They're fantastic. I'm very excited about those as well. I've always wanted, I mean, I've been a humongous fan of like the detective novels and noirs and, and police procedural detectives. And the investigator is like the perfect class to let me uh, self-insert that fantasy into Galarian, especially if it's an urban setting. 
Mm-hmm. I was not a huge fan of the, um, uh, what's his face? Iron Man. Those Sherlock Holmes movies. Mm. Why am I forgetting? Is it Robert Downey Jr. The Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> uh, Sherlock Holmes movies. But I was a big fan of that pit fight that starts the movie where he mm. slows time because he's just thinking about the punches so much and he outsmarts the much stronger brawler. And that's his greatest weapon, even in a fight. Even in a fight, yeah. Yeah, they've they've just really pulled off that concept, I think, so well of just being able to outthink your opponent. Uh, I'm really curious to see how that completely flushes out in the EPG and, and see that flavor brought forward, because that is such a fun character concept to play. Plus, it has one of the most suave iconics I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, the art of it looks phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I love the design of it and everything else. Mm-hmm. What I like about today's panels is that it's kind of the three pillars of what makes Pathfinder awesome. You've got the campaign setting, you've got a, a chunky rule book, and you've got the adventures finishing off the day. Mm-hmm. And speaking of what makes Pathfinder awesome, uh, there were two Pathfinder adventure paths uh, announced yesterday, and I'm curious to get some yes. thoughts on that from the from all of you all because they were also announced as three parters, which uh, Starfinder fans are used to. And uh, mm-hmm. I was curious what you think. The first one was the uh, Abomination Vault, and it is a mega dungeon from levels one to ten, uh, and and uh, the the second one. And I'm having a mind blank all of a sudden. Oh, fist, fist of, of the, the Ruby Phoenix. Thank you. Uh, I'm having a mind blank. This bird has fists. <laughs> I have a mind blank because uh, there was some title confusion uh, with that one. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, one's so... going to be fantastic. You start at level 11, go to level 20 over three books. Mm-hmm. Like, if your group has been wow. salivating for some amazing Pathfinder high level action, uh, then you are you're gonna love this of the ruby phoenix and i see ryan is sporting a ruby yeah. phoenix shirt the old year of the ruby phoenix from when that was one of the uh, meta plots for pathfinder society Classic. it was one that i mentioned to, in our chat with uh, with jason keely yesterday that i wanted to run those pathfinder society scenarios as a campaign mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i could never figure out how to get that to work and now i don't have to because it's being run as a three-part campaign for me and it's hitting all my favorite nostalgia points because that was the point in time when I was like heavy into uh, Pathfinder Society. I was a tier one volunteer during Gen Con, and uh, and then I got asked to run even more games on top of that. I uh, and that was also the year that Pathfinder became the number one best selling RPG uh, for a few mm-hmm. years running. Uh, you had so many cool tie-in products. Dave Gross's novel, Master of Devils, had come out. I mean, it was just such a, a a great time to be a Pathfinder fan. And just to be able to go back to the setting that uh, had that much positive vibe for this like brand new growing game, mm-hmm. when we have another brand new growing game, uh, is, is, it seems about perfect. As for the Abomination Vault, right now I'm playing in the Emerald Spire, which is also a super dungeon, and we're just on level two of it, and uh, I'm having fun, but I'm like, boy, we got a lot of levels of this vault left to go through. So the fact that Abomination Vault is only a three-part story arc, I think that's perfect. That is a great amount Mm -hmm. of time to dedicate dedicate to a, 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 a... super dungeon crawl and mega dungeon crawl because that's the storytelling is more open-ended it is more character driven it is more up to the gm to insert stuff into it and so Mm -hmm. it's very experimental for how adventure paths are normally run and uh having that experiment as one of the shorter ones just in case for whatever reason it doesn't hit with people i think that's a smart choice i've got some bad news um oh no Mm -hmm. 
because uh -oh. uh, the uh, Emerald Spire is a 296, 286-page book. Uh, when you put three yes. of the Pathfinder Adventure Paths together, you'll get the same page count. Well, well but how I many feel like floors... Emerald Spire's still, you're supposed to go fairly high level, much higher than 11th level. Yeah, you do. Well, I was going to say, yeah, because Emerald Spire, there's what, like 16 floors or something ridiculous? Yeah, and the best flip maps ever. Yeah, and so I think there's only 10 or 11 floors in Abomination Vaults. Um, so it's it's a it's a little bit smaller, but it's it's uh, than Emerald Spire um, as as a as a mega dungeon. But it definitely has that mega dungeon feel. Um, uh, there's a lot of uh, intricacy between the different levels and the different floors. There's some good RP moments, and like Ryan, like you were saying. One of the things about this sort of adventure path is it's up to the GM a lot of time to sort of infuse a lot of that character-driven story. And that's why it's interesting as an, as an author to put in, uh, make sure there's a lot of plot hooks, a lot of like, hey, here's what's really going on, so that the GM can sort of really tackle it in the way that is most appropriate for her gaming group. Another advantage of the way a three-part adventure path is done over the Emerald Spire is that you've got landmarks you've got we have mm -hmm. finished book one we are satisfied we know exactly how long is left whereas emerald spire it's we've started level one we've got 15 more levels to go and uh and it just psychologically i would feel i feel i would enjoy a abomination vaults uh, format more than i'm not that i'm disliking emerald spire it's just it's a commitment john <laughs> uh you are a starfinder fan so you've been enjoying the sweetness that is the three-part adventure pass for a while uh, is this going to tempt you over to uh, the Pathfinder side for a little bit, maybe? Oh, Ron, uh, ta Ron Lundin talking it up, uh, the the dev working on the on the AP. And, um, yeah, I think it's actually a really nice entry-level point for somebody like myself who doesn't play a lot of Pathfinder 2nd Edition to jump in, get a good taste for it, go through, you know, first 10 levels, and then maybe jump in to the next AP. So I'm I'm actually really looking forward to it. Is that all Ron Lundin is to you? He's the guy that's doing this adventure path? Well, I mean, he's talking it up. I don't know. He's just a guy, right? What am I supposed to say? He's also a he's network a member. He's, in, he's one of the intrepid heroes in the actual play. Yeah. And your jam yeah. at the moment. What do you... All right. Yeah. Yeah, we're actually we're supposed to record here tomorrow for our uh, digital divination as well, so... Nice. I can't believe you all are doing recordings during all this because we gave it up. So, Peyton, uh, mm -hmm. tell us what else the uh, fans should be excited about today. Well, one of them is giveaways, is which I'm doing one right now for a whole bag of once more for every morning because we do need a cup in the morning of Gall and Go coffee, which <laughs> this is actually getting smaller and smaller by the by the week. So I have to do a little beans at a time because I'm trying to ration it because I uh, I just don't want to buy. I don't want to buy more because I want this to last as long as possible. <laughs> So in, in chat right now, if you type PaizoCon 2020, that uh, you'll then be able to be entered into the Gomago giveaway. So, you know, this is U.S. only. I'm afraid they'll only ship the United States only. So I apologize for everyone else into the world. I apologize for them, at least, because that's just the way uh, they're currently doing things right now. So I greatly apologize for that international shipping. Things get complicated, et cetera. So if you type PaizoCon 2020 right now in chat, you're going to get to giveaway in around the... Uh, Around the end point of this uh, beginning stream, we'll go ahead and announce the winner real quick, and then I will get to you, get you all the information so you can get your prize. And uh, along with that, one thing to also be excited for is the in-between interviews. You guys have been doing in-between interviews uh, between the panels, so you don't just have to stare at our lovely graphics. You get to hear more about all the mm -hmm. interesting things that are coming from the developers, designers, editors, etc., 
And uh, how's it been going so far, guys? Have been, uh, any any new tidbits you probably got out of us uh, during those interviews that they might want to stay in for? Yeah, I, know, I just I oh. wish they were longer. We really starting mm -hmm. to get in some really interesting conversations, and so it's people are getting a lot of really interesting previews of mm -hmm. what future interviews on our podcast could be like, and they're getting a lot of follow up questions for what the panel had just been about. Right, and I love that it goes into like a slightly different vector usually uh, with the same topic, but it's like, yeah, if we had 20 more minutes of this panel, we would have gone into this, but here's some really cool mm -hmm. stuff that uh, we couldn't put there. Especially because a lot answer. of the spoilers are saved for the end of the panel. Mm -hmm. And so that's the the thing that's freshest on people's minds and the thing that they have the least amount of time, the people, the panelists have the least amount of time to explore. Right. Or we end up and, geeking. Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, okay. I'm just answering the question. Rafali said, uh, did the APG segment already pass? We just started. Like, we just started the entire PaisaCon 2020 stream. <laughs> we have just went live. Mm -hmm. So to, to kind of help out with that, if you don't mind, if I uh, retell the schedule here so everyone knows. Sure. So, you know, if you need to know the schedule and stuff like that, type uh, PaisaCon 2020 or exclamation point PaisaCon 2020 or exclamation point schedule and you'll get a link to our whole schedule for the entire thing. And there's a graphic up there. Thank you, sir. And through that, you can get to see all the stuff we're going over. Currently on Friday, so it's getting to the end of it. On the weekend, we got some nice live games. We got our closing ceremony, which I recommend you come in for. I understand you might say, oh, it's probably not like a big thing. They're probably just going to say thanks and stuff like that. We, you might, you might want to listen. So for that, uh, for the schedule that's coming in, we have the World of Galarian coming in at 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific Time Zone, or PDT where you get to learn all about the world of Pathfinder. Uh, next up, we'll have at 12 p.m. the Marquee Panel, which is the Advanced Player Guide panel. We're going into a lot of depth with this one. If you are super into the Advanced Player Guide or Advanced Player's Guide for Pathfinder 2nd Edition, this is the place to be. This is the stream you want to see. So mm -hmm. we hope to uh, see you there so you can get all your questions in for that. At 2 p.m. PDT, we're going to have the Pathfinder Adventures panel. Uh, or, yeah, so basically for there, you're going to get revealed a whole bunch of interesting stuff inside of there for the future Pathfinder, uh, you know, uh, adventure past and everything into the future. And then right after that is our Band of Bravo stream where Jason Bolin, me, uh, Jason Keeley, James Jacobs, and Marissa, and Marissa, uh, I'm, I'm going to butcher her last name, Lagerfall, I believe. <laughs> She'll yell at me later like she usually does. So we will be together playing Pathfinder 2nd Edition Band of Bravos. It's been our official Paizo stream for that to where uh, you could spend hero points and villain points to try to help us or destroy us in that one. And that will be the current schedule. So once more, um, giveaways are also happening in our Discord channel. If you do exclamation point Discord, uh, you can hop into our official Paizo uh, or PaizoCon 2020 Discord to where you can join organized play games or find a way to join them along with getting fantastic prizes within them. So uh, we, even though we're doing giveaways here, we're also doing giveaways over there. So we encourage wow. you to join that as well. We've got a couple of minutes. So before we wrap up, can you go a little bit into the closing ceremonies, when it is, what, uh, who's on it, what to expect? Okay, so the closing ceremony is going to be on Sunday at 12 p.m. PDT. It's going to be me, Tanya Woldrich, Eric Mona, and you guys. And, uh, of course, we do want to you know, have a little bit of a thank you for stuff like that and kind of, like, go into it and basically go, like, hey, thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, we appreciate appreciate everybody being here, all that fun stuff, just to say thank you, you know. And um, we may or may not have something to say at the end of it. Uh, you might, depending on how the rest of this goes, we might have something more to say. So we encourage you to come over and say hi. Is it that we get the APG PDF? No, that, it's, it's definitely that not that. Okay, okay, okay. You should join you the found room. a way to get the coffee to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I'll... Uh, 
I'll I'll ask Geek Grind if they figured that out yet. <laughs> oh, also, I want to encourage every. We talked about a lot what we're doing, but if you are here at PaizoCon, go play some games. I mean, watch the streams mm-hmm. and the cool stuff we're doing. Uh, but definitely take this advantage to go play some online games of Pathfinder, Starfinder, Adventure Card Game, and there's even a bunch of other uh, random stuff too. Um, it is a wonderful time. This is a great time to try one of the systems that maybe you haven't tried out yet. Maybe you're curious about Starfinder and want to know exactly why everyone is talking about Ed Shearing. Uh, or maybe you are uh, a first edition player who wants to play second edition or the reverse. Did you come in with second edition from like some other fantasy D and D like game? And uh, you want to know where the, uh, where all the hype came from for the uh, mm-hmm. Pathfinder and how it got here. You can play some first edition games. They've got everything mm-hmm. going on right now. 1800 game tables were put together for this convention. And there is definitely place for everybody. And if you do decide to play some games and are afraid that you're going to miss out on this fantastic panel content, No Direction has you covered. We're going to be releasing all of the panel content as podcasts on our network. uh, So you can listen to them in your drive, to and from work, whatever Mm -hmm. you need to do to catch up on all the latest news. And of course... You guys have a uh, link to your stuff down from the chat so they can uh, check you guys out. Yeah, I'll be Mm -hmm. doing that already. Go do it, Ryan. And... uh, and as you do that, let me go ahead and uh, announce who the winner is. And the winner is actually it's the Dragon but, uh, Dragon Punch. Uh, oh, I'm going to butcher their name because it's uh, a lot of syllables. Dragon Punch Squad Podcast. So congratulations to them. I don't know if they want to have a cup of coffee. I don't have enough coffee for the. Actually, I think the bundle they all get coffee. Mm. I, think, they, I think they all get a bunch of coffee. But the person who gets it has to figure out how to get it to the rest of the guys. So. <laughs> Dragon Punch, uh, if, if you want the coffee, go go ahead and give me a confirmation here in chat, and I'll go ahead and get all that information over to you. So congratulations. It's not rigged or anything. Don't worry. So <laughs> with that, um, there'll be more prizes all throughout the uh, convention and everything else. And I think we go ahead and need to sign off here because I think the yeah. next panel's coming up pretty soon. Indeed. Uh, we will be right back with the next panel. Everyone hang tight. Just a few Thank moments you. away. And we're back. Welcome back to PaizoCon Online 2020. I am one of your hosts, Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param from the No Direction Network. And I'm joined by Vanessa Hoskins, also from the No Direction Network. Hey, V. Hello. And also, we are here with Paizo's very own, not Tanya Worldwidge. Uh, we are here with James Jacobs. Hey, James. Hey. How's it going? <laughs> It's going great. You all just got done doing one of my favorite panels every year. Uh, the campaign setting of Galarian is absolutely fascinating to me. And V, you had something you wanted to ask about that. So my understanding is that the original Varicia campaign setting as presented in Rise of the Rune Lords over a decade ago had originally came from your own home campaign. Is that right? Uh, yeah, large parts of it. Uh, it's when we first started um, working on Pathfinder content and all of that, uh, we had been working on Dragon and Dungeon magazines for for several years for Wizards of the Coast, and they decided not to renew our license. Mm. And so we were faced with a, uh, a, a actual point at which we couldn't do those magazines anymore. And we didn't want to, you know, just do nothing. We wanted to keep doing game content. Mm-hmm. And so we decided we were going to just 
start doing Pathfinder. And that point, it was it was just a series of adventure paths that used the SRD um, and the OGL with no you know actual dedicated role playing game to to support it. Would just use the the open game license. And uh, the tricky thing with that was that we didn't have a campaign setting to set our adventures in, and we had to build up an entire campaign setting so quickly so that when we stopped doing Dragon and Dungeon Magazine on, on August or whenever it was, uh, we could then launch Pathfinder the very next month so that people who were subscribing to the magazines could still get our content. And um, as a result of that, uh, I basically didn't, we didn't have time to build up a new campaign, but I had had uh, at that point a couple of a decade or two of my own homebrew campaign with with uh, regions like uh, with cities like Magnamar and, and Sandpoint and Corvosa, uh, deities like Nagorber and uh, Desna and Zonkathon, and so I I basically just drew upon all of that content to start filling in the blanks, and dropping nation names and stuff like Kionan and Medioveltie Island, and um, Wes Schneider and James Sutter were there along with me helping fill in blanks like. Uh, uh, Karamaga is pretty much 100% uh, James Sutter. Uh, Magnamar, the town name, is something for my setting, but Wes is the one that basically invented everything about it, brought in a lot of the Imperial Lords. So there's a sort of this, this panic session of just pulling proper nouns either out of the air or from old campaigns and throwing them in there and hoping everything's stuck and <laughs> people seem to like it. So Yay. So the, the, the advice I often hear about to new GMs that one of the styles for building your adventure and campaign world is from the inside out. You all did that, but for your whole company? Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty much. It was um it was pretty crazy. I mean the, the Gazetteer to Galarian was uh didn't come out for several months after we started the first adventure path. And that was largely written by uh, Eric Mona and Jason Bullman, who creating all of this content, it takes a lot of time. So all of the stuff that I was doing in Varicia um, was parallel to all the stuff that Jason and Eric were doing with the rest of Galarian. And we kind of tried to have to like yell over each other's, you know, cubicle walls where it was like, are you doing this? What's going on there? And it, so it was pretty tricky. And um, like when they were building the world, the world, the global, not the global map, but the world map for uh, the inner sea region for a long time, it was just like a basic outline of the, the shapes that we've come to know and love. And then right mm -hmm. up there in the upper upper Northwest was Varicia, which was very, looked like it was cut right out of a, a rectangle piece of paper and super detailed. So it, it kind of stuck out as like, here's all of this terra incognita. And there's this area that's super detailed, which is a weird, we've, we've since of course caught up and have stuff all over the place, but right. yeah, it was definitely a, a pretty stressful time. Uh, We're used to that, though. Another area that was also super early and very far away from Varicia was the uh, the woods in northern Andoran. What was the story about that particular setting getting so fleshed out in those early days? Oh, like Darkmoon Vale and yeah. all that. So, mm -hmm. so we had um, the Adventure Path line. We wanted to do something that was basically what we our most success in Dungeon Magazine was the Adventure Path. So we wanted to do Adventure Path monthly, 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 monthly. But there's more to the world than, you know, Sandpoint and Versia and Magnamar and all of that. So we also, at the same point, wanted to do, uh, you know, monthly modules that would be short 32-page adventures that would look at other parts of the world. And at the time, we had, I think, six of us. And three of us uh, would, were used to work on Dungeon Magazine. Three of us used to work on Dragon Magazine. And uh, 
we kind of mixed and matched the teams and it was uh for for the venture path it was myself Wes schneider and um uh james sutter and then for the the adventure side the module side it was uh, jason bullman mike mccarter and uh, jeremy walker and so we kind of had two teams working side by side and for the module side, the Dark Moon Veil was something that Mike McCarter was really, really, you know, into like developing that whole region. So he kind of took the reins on that. And that's why there's so much Dark Moon Veil stuff in those early adventures. Um, so it was it was something that kind of happened just as a necessity that, you know, we needed to develop somewhere that was not Varicia. And it mm -hmm. just turned out to be that specific region of Andoran. It wasn't even really in Andoran, I don't think, originally. And uh, it just kind of got put in there. We need to put this somewhere. Oh, there's some forest. <laughs> so I have a um obviously the setting is now a very full setting. It, it might be mm -hmm. the second most complete campaign setting out there and maybe first. I'm not really sure where Faerun in published pages stacks up against uh, your stuff cuz you all for a while there were putting mm -hmm. out literally four books a month for Pathfinder. Um yeah, I mean it's for over 10 years. I think that we probably at this point, I haven't actually gone in and looked at the count, but you know, you'd have to also include all of the novels and stuff that were done for Forgotten Realms and all that. I think one of the advantages we have in the, it's not really a race, but uh, looking at the way Dungeons and Dragons has has handled its settings, it's it's, and we saw this all the time in Dragon and Dungeon Magazine when we publish an adventure. This is set in Greyhawk or this is set in, in Forgotten Realms. Mm -hmm. uh, Fundamentally, those are kind of the same regions. They all have the same monsters and the same stories. But a, a player would, or a game, a game master would see something that says Forgotten Realms, and they're playing in in Greyhawk or their own homebrew, and they just they would let us know why well, can't use that because it's set in Forgotten Realms. It's like, oh, all right, sorry. So we made the decision early on that we were only ever going to do one campaign setting, and that was Galarian. And uh, in order to tell the different types of genres like horror and high fantasy and like um, high survival and, and like washbuckling pirate stuff, we would mm -hmm. make our nations have sort of their own little themes all over the place, but they're all on the same planet. So by focusing on that, we've just kind of accidentally made a lot of content for one campaign setting, I guess. And how has, um, with new voices joining in and, and creating more content and the campaign setting growing, uh, what parts of it has like pleasantly surprised you that the campaign's a direction that went in since the early days when you all were still piecing it together on a big blank map? Uh, all of it, honestly. I mean, having just new writers come in and more importantly, uh, new developers like Eleanor and Luis and uh, Patrick ron uh crystal uh, i mean the list goes on and on and on and on some of them aren't working at paizo anymore some of them just started working at paizo we we just hired a couple of people i think uh, in is, is uh, i've never actually met in person because of the whole you know work at home thing um and uh the thing that i really love about it is that it gives me a chance to actually be a player and to be excited about the content it's not something that has been bouncing around in my head and it's not surprising and intriguing and uh inspiring to me because it's it's something that i've already been thinking about and seeing the new new work all of these uh other writers are bringing to galarian keeps it interesting it keeps it you know inspiring to me in the same way that when i was a kid i was inspired by like gary gygax and and all the pulps and stuff like that. Now I'm inspired by all of these amazing new authors and, and designers and creators that we're, we're, I'm so just delighted to be able to work with. Cool. V? 
yeah, I was going to say, do you feel that like on reflecting over how the world was built as sort of this and the kitchen sink setting where you can have a, a samurai with a gunslinger and like a wizard with a big pointy hat all in the same party. Do you feel that the campaign setting was successful in sort of delivering your, your overall dream of what Galarian and, and the Lost Omen settings should be? I think that was a very, very key part of the success because one thing that's important, if you're making a homebrew game, mm -hmm. you know what your four to six players want and you can build that game in that setting for them. Mm -hmm. For publishing something, you're publishing for tens, hundreds of thousands of people. And it, very, very early on, Eric Mona and I were talking like, do we really need dwarves and elves in our game? Obviously, of course we do, because that's what people want. So mm -hmm. the, the kitchen sink, anything goes approach makes it so that everybody who comes to Galarian can, in theory, find something that they love. And mm -hmm. it's, that's, that's impossible to do if you have the super tight focus. That's true. If I want to play the character who's, you know, like a, a gunslinger is a perfect example. Like they really mm -hmm. only exist in this one small pocket of Galarian. But mm -hmm. if we're playing a, a Kingmaker campaign and I really want to play a gunslinger, I can find a reason that my character would have this knowledge from Alkenstar and it's traveled all this way. And that way it yeah. still fits in the world. It's I, I think it's actually a really smart thing, too. So yeah. I'm glad that you did that. And the Pathfinder Society uh, has really helped mm -hmm. people learn how useful that can be. Because I remember when I've been playing some of the other uh, campaign settings that were developed, you could really tell like where this thing began because it was the stuff with all the love and all the novels and and there were some other regions that would be fleshed out but you could kind of tell what this campaign setting was meant to do and then uh and it seemed almost like it wasn't a cohesive world sometimes because there was not all those other cultures influencing uh the 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 original vision of the campaign setting and vice versa whereas in galarian because of pathfinder society because of all the work you've all done on the uh, the inner sea campaign guides of various uh, releases it definitely feels like this is a world full of varied cultures that influence and mm -hmm. work with each other and do not exist in little silos to themselves it might be a kitchen sink setting but the the sink is overflowing i mean the earth the the world we live in is a kitchen right. sink you know it's, mm -hmm. that's that's the big that's one of the things that we did a lot uh do a lot with uh, galarian is we look to like uh literature and mythology and just going beyond just what i my personal experience growing up would inform a certain type of of game but deliberately looking for other people to get their takes on things to make it just more diverse and it makes it more interesting and, and more fun oh yeah i've been i've been having a blast with all of the adventures lately that have been taking us down to mwangi for example for the last couple of years there's been a lot of mwangi adventures and and that's an area yep. of the world i would not have on my own discovered uh but because the world is so interconnected and the writing is so rich i mean I'm basically a Jatumbe fanboy at this point. I'm like, oh, this stuff is so great. This stuff is so great. And there's spider people. Yeah. And it's 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 really important to draw on people that are actually from those those, you know, those backgrounds and those those mm -hmm. the experts and, and people that, you know, because it's it's one thing to to write, you know, about dragons and like clear skinned or deafens and uh, you know, demons and all of this stuff. But when you look at something like you want to build something based on like uh, the amazing cultural folklore mythos, whatever history of like Africa or Asia mm -hmm. or South America. Um, I don't, I'm not the right person to do that, but I can get 
the right people to write it and it, it just makes it such a better better and more real more honest setting um mm-hmm. um yeah, so it's, the, it's and that's the thing like the world uh, that we live in is so diverse and so intricate and interesting with all the different cultures that we have mm-hmm. uh, all the different traditions that people have that having a kitchen sink setting like Pam was saying i think actually does work uh, not just as a we don't know what you know players are going to want to bring to the table so we better have elves and dwarves and mm-hmm. everything they might want but also just that if you have a specific culture or background or something that is important to you there is mm-hmm. a part of that reflected somewhere in galarian that you can tap into and i think that's yeah. one of the best biggest strengths of the lost omen setting and it's it's i mean it's a reflection of paizo because we've just got a very diverse uh, uh company of of all of the employees are from all over the world, uh, different sexual identities. And, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it's just, it's just really, it's important for us to make sure that everybody who comes to Galarian, there needs to be somewhere that they can look at and say, that's, that's me. That's who I want to be. And um, it's, it's, we've seen a lot of people. Uh, I've seen a lot of uh, requests on like message boards and stuff for people asking us to go uh, beyond Avistan, beyond the beyond the Intersea region, and explore places like Arcadia or uh, Sarasan or Casmaron or something like that. And we're gonna get there. We're, we're we want to go explore like Southern uh, Garund or I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, other parts of the world, but we don't want to do it slapdash, and um, uh, we don't want to do a disservice to that. Uh, material and by that since since we're trying to do it right the first time it's taking us a bit longer to get there i also think that it actually really ties into the system's uh strengths as well because the one thing that when you when you talk about pathfinder and pathfinder 2 especially as pf2 is evolving uh that sets it apart from a lot of the other games is this pure dedication to uh the uh, customization and depth that you can build your characters with like there's tons of feats there's lots of classes you're very much encouraged to get in there and tinker with the legos and build just the character you want and by having all these tied together cultures and influences it helps let you bring in things uh, that actually have some weight in the setting or or feel genuine or feel uh, uh, valid or or, or even uh, important and so that when you build, even if you are a person that's just like, I play the ranger. Rangers are my class. I'm going to play 800 rangers. If you're doing mm-hmm. it in Galarian and you're using the Pathfinder rules for it, none of those rangers have to ever be anything alike. Right. Yeah, that's that's one of the uh, um, my theories on gameplay is that you should be able to have an entire party made of all of the same class. And they should all look different. Somebody, if you if you made a movie out of a, your group and you're all fighters, they mm-hmm. shouldn't all look like they're you know soldiers or mercenaries from the same group. They obviously can, but that level of of you know diversity and just options is is just always been a core part of, of Pathfinder. And it's it's really kind of speaks to how we are as a gamers at Paizo and how a lot of the uh, the customers and the people that we've talked to is that is they don't really there's there's not this mindset of like, this is the only game we play. I only do it this way. It's like I play all these different games. You know, our fans of of D and D and Call of Cthulhu and you know Dread and uh, indie games and longstanding games and Pathfinder and Starfinder, and it's more of a um, I guess a lifestyle than than anything else. Is like 
you want to try all these different things. And even if all you ever want to play is a fighter, you still deserve to have a lot of different things to choose from. All right. Well, we have to get to the next panel, and I'm sure everybody here is super excited to get to this next panel because it is going to further mm-hmm. talk about the ways that characters can be so deep and diverse in Pathfinder. We're talking, of course, about the Advanced Player's Guide special panel with the development team. I am also wanting to thank all the volunteers that are helping out making sure these 1,800 plus game tables are happening today. I can't, still cannot believe they made that mm. many tables happen in a con we had to slap together in a month and a half. Uh, yeah. Y'all are awesome. And also thank you so much, Paizo. Uh, I would also like to thank the rest of my team. And I would especially like to thank Peyton uh, for helping us get all this together. And another person I need to thank is Sirenscape for uh, providing us with this wonderful music that you're about to listen to as we sign out and get ready for the next panel. So thank you all. We will be right back in just a few minutes. See you later. And we're back. Welcome back to PuzzleCon Online 2020. I'm one of your hosts, Jefferson J. Thacker from the No Direction Network, and I'm joined by Ryan Costello, also from the No Direction Network. And, and I'm also joined by Paizo Design Manager, Mark Seifter. Hello, Mark. Hi. Mark, are you excited? Yes, I'm so excited about the Advanced Player's Guide. The design team put a lot of um, sweat and love into this book. And the ultimate um, sort of gratification uh, from the book is when all of you have it and you get to play with the cool things that are in it and are talking about, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I'm playing my Dompier Leshy or whatever you're doing. Um, it's going to be great. Oh, wait a second. Yeah, How does that it's work? Pump, it's, it's Pumpkaboo from Pokemon. <laughs> okay. Yes, yes, I'm now, yes. Pokemon. Obviously. Um, so That's what I, El- El- Eleanor figured that out for us. <laughs> now, uh, a lot of the classes that you talked about when we got updates on how they've changed since the playtest, a lot of them have real role-playing elements added to them that's separate from mechanics and it's different from what we're used to seeing. Was that How did that come to be? Uh, that was just sort of very intentional for us because all of the classes... Like they should have a role play element, and we want to talk about them. We want to discuss them a little bit. But when you're a new player, um, some of those concepts in the core rulebook are a little bit basic concepts that cover a lot of ground, and that like this is your first time. We don't want to overload you. But with the advanced player's guide, you might be a little bit more advanced in the game, and you have some time to really sort of savor the the taste of the role playing aspect of the archetype. I'm uh, uh, sorry, of the class, and that's why. We brought in some classes that were, you know, a little bit more complicated, both um, possibly from the mechanical end a little bit and also from the story end. Things like the Oracle that combines those concepts that just never should fit together all into a kitchen sink or the witch with their mysterious patron. And so we absolutely took the time to go out there because when we say it's an advanced player's guide, you could still buy it if you think you're not super advanced yet it's going to help you become more advanced and so if this is your first step up from the core rulebook it might have some good guidance and uh ideas that just springboard and you immediately say oh i want to play a witch just like that from the sidebar or change your role playing your reading of the title is not that it's an advanced guide for players but it's a guide for advanced players 
I think it's a guide that advances players. Oh, my reading is that it's not a guide that's only for advanced players, but that it's a guide that advances players it, uh, because it's going to advance you and your game to the next level. Uh, just because it's got more of everything and it has so many sort of cool twists mm-hmm. on things that we couldn't quite fit in the core rulebook, and now we can. Yeah, in a lot of ways, this kind of feels like Calm does for Starfinder in that instead of being like the APG, which made Pathfinder into really Pathfinder's identity the first time, uh, this one seems like it's doing a lot of that, but it's also like completing the options we kind of hoped were coming. Uh, Some of the things that you might not have had room for, especially some of the concepts that you were talking about during the playtest that didn't make the final cut, such as all these sweet archetypes. Uh, and you talked about, say, the two-weapon fighter uh, lets you add two-weapon fighting to any class. Uh, the archer is probably going to do the same. I'm, I want to flip that around and look at the bastion. One, because it has the coolest name, and two, because I want to know how a defensive archetype works for a character. Okay. So, yeah, the Bastion and the Sentinel are both pretty defensive archetypes, but the Bastion is focused on shields, and the Sentinel is going to be focused on armor. Uh, Sentinel being even more hotly requested because people wanted a way to go deep into armor without being a champion. Um, But the Bastion is going to start you off with that reflexive shield fighter feat that's just a very juicy reaction that raises your AC just when you need it. Um, it's got access to a bunch of the best um, uh, shield feats that you need to express a shield character from the core rulebook classes that have some shield feats. You know, things like quick shield block for an extra block or shield warden to block for your ally. And then it's got some unique abilities that only the Bastion can can have, um, such as one that's really cool at level 12, Shield Salvation which is if your shield would be destroyed due to damage taken during a shield block, it remains intact at one hit point instead. Um, and now that weakens its construction to the point where uh, you can't do it again to uh, continue saving it constantly, right? You're going to have to fix it up after that. But uh, a lot of people don't like losing their shield completely. That's a good option for you if you're one of those people. On the other hand, if you want your shield to be destroyed and then you want people to pay the ultimate price for it, there's Destructive Block, where you can just damage your shield even more to protect yourself more. Uh. As well as a shield item in the book that when it gets destroyed, it just blows up. Uh. Oh, I can just thought you were going to say maybe it would rebuild itself eventually. No, no. the opposite. No, no, it's priced really low because we know it's basically (laughs) consumable, right? So it just blows up and, like, damages that person. So you could combine that with the feat to damage your shield even more and, and protect yourself more from Bastion to make a build that's all about, yeah, I'm only going to block ones. It's going to block a lot, and they're going to feel the pain. And then I won't have a shield. Maybe I'll 2M my Bastard Sword after that. I, so I really that's want, sort of what, what's going on. I really want to make a character now that's like a fighter that straps a Pez dispenser of shields on his back and just grabs one when they need it. <laughs> Uh, that, well, then maybe you want to play a Viking. Huh? What about Viking? Why do I want to play well, a Viking? That, I mean, Vikings have been known for their, um, sort of, the trials Just... they would take with multiple shields, right? Oh. So they might have some, they might have some options that makes them, make them a little better at going for the next shield after the first one breaks. Because we assigned that one to Jason Tondro, who, with his deep knowledge of 
sort of that time period, Beowulf, lots of uh, classic literature, um, kind of really nailed it on the Viking archetype with what kind of things they do. There's a lot of martial archetypes on here that I'm pretty excited about. Uh, not not the martial, but the martial artist. No, not the, the mauler. Mar I'm I mean, the, the martial yeah, fine, the martial is just fine. But the martial artist and the mauler, I'm already considering how to combine those two together. I'm assuming the mauler is a lot of a, a, a wrestler, a grappler type character? Um, so, no. The oh. mauler is not a wrestler. Um, the mauler is a big two-handed weapon using, oh. I am going to use the biggest weapon and everything around me that is my enemy is going to suffer. That's the that's the uh, the Mahler. One the martial artist with the martial artist. Then <laughs> uh, that's true. The martial artist is like, you know, I I'm going to do some martial arts, but that doesn't mean I have to be this mystic monk person. Yeah, now, we've seen a lot of uh, classes from first edition are now making the conversion over to archetypes like the cavalier, the vigilante. Um. Are there any that you thought should be uh, archetypes or are being looked at for being archetypes that maybe did make the cut for the APG? I'm just going to say no comment on that because <laughs> until until we lock down what is actually going to be a class, nobody knows what's actually going to be a class, right? Because you have to look at it not just from are the mechanics going to be um, different um, or something that we couldn't express before, but what is the concept? Like, if you looked at Swashbuckler and just said, can I play a character that is mechanically does everything the Swashbuckler can do, more or less, from Pathfinder First Edition, there are, like, five ways to do that before the Swashbuckler came out mechanically. But they weren't all necessarily giving you the fantasy of being a Swashbuckler, um, in, and the Swashbuckler class absolutely is. So, similarly, you might see something you're looking at and being like, well, surely this is already covered mechanically. That doesn't mean that the fantasy isn't strong enough to warrant a class. And sometimes I'm surprised by that. So it would be a mistake to pick something like that now because I'll just wind up with pie on my face when I'm wrong and that becomes a class or something like that would be a class becomes an architect. So you'll just have to wait and see until we announce because that is when we'll be guaranteed to know probably a few months before that when we put it in a book. But, you know. You seemed really excited at the beginning of this panel to talk about animal companions and familiars. What if I want an animal companion who is a familiar? Well, um, if you want an animal companion who is a familiar, then you have to ask yourself, do you really want an animal companion or do you really want a familiar? Or you could just have both an animal companion and a familiar. There's nothing stopping you other than that if you want to try to do a lot of things with them in combat, it's going to um, get a little cumbersome. But as long as you, if you wanted a familiar and you take a lot of the master abilities and it sort of hides away with that spell Liz talked about, and then you have the companion that's out there fighting, you could do that pretty easily. So why were you so hype for the animal companions? I mean, I am hype for the animal companions, but what was it that well, really I'm hyped you? for animal companions and familiars just because I like that topic and we ha each had to pick a favorite. And it was enough my favorite that those are the four pages that I assigned to myself. Oh. And Liz picked Vigilante as her favorite on Wednesday, and those were among the few things that she assigned to herself. Along with, uh, there were some things we do internally as well. Just, you know, like we design classes on the clock. Uh, but there's sometimes we assign ourselves certain parts of freelance that are, that could have gone to any freelancer perhaps, but we were just very passionate about it. I'm passionate about opening up more options for the familiars and animal companions because there were not 
there were not enough space in that core rulebook for them in particular. Um, so there's all sorts of new abilities. Specific, there's the three specific familiars we mentioned, the fairy dragon, the imp, and the spell slime. And then there's the new animal companions. Mm -hmm. So I'm just excited because I think they're really cool and that people really like their little friends a lot. So I hope that everyone else will like them too. Spell right, slimes. Circling back to archetypes for a second. Sorry, go ahead, Baron. I was like, spell slimes. That's like almost custom made for me. I love slimes. I love spells. And I love cute things. This is perfect. All right. Well, <laughs> you will you will like the spell slime. Then it is a just a friendly, lo extremely loyal slime that's going to follow you around and be your friend and smell Aww. magic. I'm going to get a little cat pouch and I'm going to water it. I'm going to feed it stuff. A couple of people in chat wanted more details on the Blessed One. Aha. Uh -huh. I can now tell what chapter of the book is Ryan's favorite since all of his <laughs> questions are about that chapter. Um, <laughs> Blessed One is a character that through luck or deed, heritage or heroics, uh, carries the blessing of a deity, which manifests in the ability to remove wounds, uh, sorry, heal wounds, remove harmful conditions. And it doesn't matter if you actually worship that deity or not. You might just be mad that they are just asking so much of you when you just want to do something else. Um, so the Blessed One is basically um, the character that is really amped up, sort of lay on hands mercy character. You don't have to be a champion. Um, you do all sorts of things with that. So it's very good if you want to do a little bit of off-healing and condition removal, and that's what you want. And you don't need the rest of the, all the stuff that comes with the champion. It's got a few unique abilities that even champions don't have that maybe a champion um, might consider taking. Although it's, it's not, unlike some of the other ones we've talked about, it's not necessarily like hyper-super efficient if you already have champion and have some of these features, but... If you're really excited about the higher level stuff, you might do it too. Is there anything in this book that you're worried might get overshadowed that you really think people should be excited about? Um, I don't know. I feel like there's so many different things that could be overshadowing in this book uh, that we, we covered all of them. Like, right. Ancestries are always a, a huge sound. Versatile heritage. I think we're going to be on there with them. Classes are always huge. Archetypes, especially a section this big is always huge. So I think probably the things that are going to get most overshadowed are the spells of the magic items and also non-magic items. Possibly the new general and skill feats. Maybe the new backgrounds and special rarer backgrounds. Um, all of those could probably get overshadowed because they're not big ticket wow selling points like the other ones, but there's just so much. Like Logan said, a lot of people's old favorite spells and just some brand new ones that you might never have expected some of which are like really gross because they grow like weird limbs and organs on a person or blisters that pop and spray acid on your enemy and other nearby creatures. Like they um, offensively add a leg to you? Uh, yes. There's offensively adds a leg to your enemy because it is grisly growth. And <laughs> what that is going to do is damage as like fingers and eyes and things pop up. And then uh, people might be sickened by the fact that this happened, even not the person who it happens to, because it's pretty gross. And then in items, um, like we mentioned already, or no, I guess rituals in the spells, another thing that can tend to get overshadowed, but there's some classic favorites that people have in there. I mean, who doesn't want to create a demiplane? Useful to me to have that, mm -hmm. um, because I needed a create demiplane, and... 
handedly, I had access to it. Um, there's also the items are, I think people are going to like. There's a few mundane items, the new kits, uh, alchemy items, new bombs, and mutagens. So those are probably more likely to be overshadowed. We are running up on time, so I do want to point anyone that wants to know more about uh, what was said at the last panel in case you missed it. I recommend you go to the No Direction Discord server in the convention chat <laughs> channel under events. And our uh, user, uh, Severin Laureate, did a great job of doing bullet points of everything that you all were saying in your panel. It's uh, how I was able to keep up when I wasn't able to watch that last panel, which is why I know what I'm excited about. And yes, <laughs> types are pretty high on that list. All right. We definitely need to also thank, again, all the people from Paizo for uh, coming on and giving us all this information. The org play team that's making sure these massive amounts of games are happening. Uh, Peyton for uh, somehow keeping us all sane and it all from burning down. <laughs> and, uh, and and I want to also thank, of course, the, uh, the, the No Direction crew that are helping us make sure that this happens. We will be right back with the uh, last discussion panel of the day, but do not think it's the end of the day because Band of Bravos comes on after that. So until later, bye. And we're back. Welcome to PuzzleCon Online 2020. I'm one of your hosts, Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Perrin from the No Direction Network. And I'm joined by Ryan Costello, my co-host from No Direction. Uh, I'm... Also, Alexander Agunas, No Direction Network member, cast member, blog writer, uh, and all, all sorts of all this stuff. And finally, <laughs> and as well as one of our favorite people to chat with, Adam Daigle from Paizo. Hey, everybody. Adam. Thanks for having me. I noticed a trend with our last couple of interviews with James Jacobs and now with uh, hearing some of the same things at your panel is that uh, you, uh, Varicia was started off as a lot of parts of it came from James Jacobs's own personal games. And now we hear that uh, one of the adventures coming out that you all can't announce details on uh, is based off of a game that you all are actively playing uh in the office with each other how often does the stuff you all design for fun become the stuff that we buy later i i think some of that really varies um depending on different uh developers or designers um there there have been times in the past where you know when playing a game it's like man, I really want this certain idea, but we don't have anything that fits it. And so, and, you know, when you're running an office game with everybody working on the same type of stuff, they trust you if you're like, hey, I'm just going to come up with this thing. And you end up being able to slip it into the game. Um, there's also times where, you know, people have gotten their own personal characters illustrated by inserting them into the game. Um, heck, I created an entire god from a campaign that james ran years ago where i was like i want to play a cleric but i kind of have this other idea of the god i want and here you know james is like well do a little write-up and let me see what i think and so kazutal came from that and it was really fun because like by the time i actually got kazutal into print i had played that cleric for 
two years. And so I knew how a cleric of that God would act and how, you know, like it gave me a lot more time to think about something before getting into print, which is something that doesn't really, uh, a lot of us who have published, actually many of us here have published. And uh, yeah, you don't really have the luxury of having two years to really think about a thing. And yet you get to say, who's the God now? <laughs> I mean, I mean that's true, and I've 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 the least amount of published credits of the crew here. But even Param's spellbook existed because I wanted it, and then it got out of hand. <laughs> sure, we've also heard stories that that naked barbarian archetype showed up in one E because Eric just did not want to put clothes on his barbarian. Like, why would you? And... But yeah, like related to that uh, adventure that I talked about in the previous panel, like. Whenever, you know, once second edition was like published and out and finalized and done, uh, James was just like, I think it would be a really good idea if we all played this at least once a week, you know, and, you know, others of us had other games and stuff like that. But having like a group of us that all worked on the game, playing it still on a regular, regular basis was super fun. And James just like created this town and this whole like sandbox adventure. And it's just kind of, hey, guys. What do y'all want to do? And so we got into hijinks and different things. And it's uh, John Compton, Liz Liddell, Ron Lundeen, um, Rob popped in there for a little bit, and Amanda's playing a crazy trash hobo. And um... of course, <laughs> of course she is. Oh man, of course she. Is. You could make an is. entire best-selling NPC book by just the weird things Amanda comes up with. Ah, uh, yeah, that's why she's awesome at her job. <laughs> Also, now, if it was an audiobook. Ooh, oh god. The voices, voices. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, for those of you who don't know, uh M Amanda plays with us on Stellar uh, as the rage bug and she puts on this real mean loud accent and it's it it surprised the crap out of us the first time she did it. <laughs> um so Yeah, she's 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 playing a cleric of Grotus. Um, <laughs> that is very, that is very much a hobo. So you can imagine. Oh my gosh. I love playing with her every time I get to. So Adam, uh, the other thing I wanted to follow up on is I completely forgot when I was laughing about Amanda. Ryan, take it and save me embarrassment. <laughs> Adam, how's your ask me anything going? Um, I haven't, I checked it earlier today and there wasn't any new questions. Um, but it's been going well. I haven't gotten any questions that I'm just like, I don't want to answer that, or I don't know how to answer that. Um, a lot of them have been very um, social and, you know, not oh. directly rules. For, like, I was so dreading I was going to go to, like, well, how does this feat work when combined with and it's like, no, just ask me about, like, music and whiskey and stuff, yeah. which is one of my What's favorite What's the biggest praying I've mantis got. you've ever seen? <laughs> right. Or just show me pictures of praying mantises. I'm, I'm fine with that, too. Oh, pictures are disabled for most users. Mm. Otherwise, oh, you would get flooded. That's that's actually probably a really good idea. Yeah. <laughs> I was a bit confused Wait, so why people were freaked out when I started posting pictures. I didn't know I had elevated permissions. <laughs> <laughs> so you're what you're asking people to show you things on your ask. That's really funny. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I figured like sometime during the weekend, I'm going to turn it around into a not ask me anything. It's like, I'm going to ask you all anything. And oh, the tables make, have turned. Right. Uh -huh. Make people answer my questions. So I remember what I wanted to ask you, Adam. How do you right. 
make an adventure that's pre-written a sandbox? And like how how was that mechanically going to be presented or how have you all mechanically done it in the past? Um we've done it a few times. Sometimes we've been more successful than others. I think one of the important things is to um and this comes in, you've got to present it to a GM as this is the whole landscape that you're going to be operating in. And there's an encounter here, an encounter here, an encounter here, an encounter here, and have really fun dynamic encounters. You just can't, you can't have like plain old boring, hey, look, there's a, you know, critter, fight it. But you've got to have these other elements. And then from each of those encounters, there needs to be some breadcrumbs that can lead to one or other encounters. And then eventually you can realize, like you see the whole picture. It starts off where it's you're looking at it from this and then you see here, okay, well, this is maybe related to this other thing over here. And then eventually most of those, you see that they're all related and the reason that they're happening is for one reason or another, and then can lead you to what is the you know final boss or whatever. At least that's how I've approached it in the past. So two things from chat. Eric Mona has confirmed the story you said, that indeed the uh, Naked Barbarian exists simply because he wanted a barbarian that didn't wear clothes. Uh, I think most people know that story. Yeah, yeah. It's true. Uh, and secondly, Jason Bowman wants Adam to answer who runs Cobalt Town? <laughs> hey, we don't need any Band of Bravos spoilers here. I think you know this, Jason. I hope Jason knows who runs Cobalt Town and the Brothers. <laughs> oh, yeah. You all played last night, right? No, that's next. Next? No, oh. that's, yeah. I'm getting my things. He's basically, Row for Combat was last night. Sorry. He's he's pre-hyping. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, so just because the panels are over and uh, you'll not see us tomorrow, but you will see us the day after um, for the, uh, the ending panels, uh, panel singular, uh, the con's not over. There is a uh, Band of Bravos tonight of uh, Jason Bowman GMing it, a crew from Paizo playing it that includes uh, uh, Mr. Daigle and Peyton Smith. Nope. No. Nope. I'm, it's I'm Bowman, Peyton, uh, Marissa, and, and uh, Keely. Keely, yes. Uh, that is up next. And then all throughout tomorrow, there are various other. Um, uh, Pathfinder Starfinder streamers that are going to be putting on live plays you can watch right here and of course the one of the best things you can do during any con that Paizo is at is to get your uh, I was going to say butts I'm going to say it anyway uh, to uh, their, their virtual butts this time get them into the organized play games uh, if, you, if you haven't signed up just get them looking for group channel a half an hour before the time slots those are 12 and 6 12 and 6 um, and just play some games. Uh, the 1,800 tables were made for this convention, uh, for an online convention put together in a month and a half. I oof, Craziness. Uh, and yeah. you, if you haven't played Organized Play, if you haven't played Pathfinder Society or Starfinder Society or, or, or the, what, uh, the new stuff for the card game, you really owe it to yourself to check it out. Um, the Pazo produces some of the best adventures available in the entire industry. Uh, they do not stop doing that just because they're meant to fit in a four-hour slot. Diggle, how does this compare to all the PaizoCons you've been to? Uh, it's 
been really weird. Um, like I, I like that we've been able to pull it off and it's cool seeing, you know, people in chat and discords and stuff like that, but it's definitely not the same as, you know, being around everybody in person and stuff like that. Um, something I joked about on the first day is that the uh, line for coffee in the morning is so much shorter. So that's a positive. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I'm cooking but so much food is work. terrible. <laughs> well, food is a lot cheaper because I can make it in my own kitchen. That's Not COVID nice. prices. Um, oh, well. No, still, compared to hotel restaurant, uh, I don't know. I paid like $10 for a pound of hamburger meat. Jeez. I'm I'm really missing my yearly giant Sunday, so uh, I, I feel yeah, you, Adam. That's one of the things. It's, like at first, it was like, okay, wow, we don't have to do this because you know, I mean, I, I'm part of like setup and breakdown, so it's it's a lot of work, and it's also <laughs> mentally kind of weird for you know someone who has anxiety and shit like that. Uh, dang it! Um, but one of the things that at first I was kind of relieved because this, you know, fright of the whole, what if we have to pull this off and with social distancing and all of that. But then like immediately it was all these, oh, I'm going to miss this. I'm not going to be able to do this thing. I'm not going to be able to post up in the bar and teach people how to play dominoes. Like there's all of these small things that create the experience that we're not getting to have and that's kind of sad but i'm glad that we at least have this outlet because if we just weren't doing anything i think a lot of us would be a lot more uh bummed out by it all well from what tanya was saying when we had her on uh, hype and PaizoCon, if paizo didn't take a part in this this was happening anyway it was just going to be several tiny cons made up by a lot of their partners and so uh by paizo stepping in being the umbrella organizer, it became something way bigger than any of us could have done individually. Yeah. Although seeing those uh, Facebook memories popping up over the last week yeah. and a half mm -hmm. has been kind of tough. <laughs> yeah. The one where me and Ryan and Alex and V, no, it was uh, me, Ryan, V, and uh, Randall and Randall Luis. And game Luis. Uh, that game, uh, that was a lot of fun. And I'm um, and then, of course, I'm missing uh, the couch time I have with Alex at the end of the con every year. Like that Pfizer black rock couch. has no green blood on it at all. <laughs> right. I know. <laughs> Alex, besides the Sunday, what I... are you going to miss? Oh, you know, that's cheating because hanging out with you on Sunday on the couch is like my, like I have so many PaizoCon memories of just being on that couch. Mm -hmm. Like last year, I literally sat on that couch with Owen all day Thursday and we just sat there and greeted everybody. Like we, we met Dustin because he came and sat down with us on the couch. It was, it was magical that couch. Um, Honestly, I'm kind of going to miss running around and going from place to place uh, at the con trying desperately to put out all the fires because you're stuck at the, the booth. Um, it was fun. It made me... Yeah. So Hi. This is Abby's <laughs> first Pazo con. Okay, hello. Yeah, Abigail doesn't usually make the cameos, but she is today. Hello. Hello, Abby. <laughs> hello. Say, yeah. Have a good Pazo con. She's going to be like amazing podcaster when she grows up. <laughs> Okay. All right, you can say goodbye. Bye. <laughs> See you later. Oh. Okay, I mean, I
going to put you down. What adventures that were announced that you didn't produce, or did you produce all of them? We've uh, only got three minutes. Okay. Okay. So sorry about that question. Uh, before we go, I do want to uh, take this the time to sign off to remind people who No Direction is. We are the uh, we started off as the. 3.55 Sanctuary, but basically we are the... What are we now? We are No Direction, the Pathfinder News Reviews and Interviews podcast and the Starfinder News and Interviews podcast and like a billion Let's Plays and like some of the best blog content about anything Star and Asterisk Finder out there. Uh, it's an amazing uh, crew of talent that we've got with us producing all this content. We have basically a podcast almost every weekday and it seems like we're trying real darn hard to get rid of that almost. Uh, and oh, yeah. there's competition for the last two slots. Yeah, it's not about filling them; it's about choosing <laughs> which one gets them. Yeah, and we've... I've really, I've really enjoyed watching y'all grow over these years. I mean, it seems like we've kind of both been in this together at the same time. Mm -hmm. It feels like when I got started, y'all got started. Yeah, and yeah. we're yeah, all that's fair. kind of. Yeah, I mean, like literally, I got we got started. The I got uh, my first moments in the industry wasn't so much with you, but it was a few months later. It was uh, with KD. Uh, but my very first time in the industry was the Gen Con. You all put the core rulebook out, and I started and I was running around with my cell phone, throwing it on the tables and asking permission if y'all wanted that to happen. And Ryan was doing the same thing. <laughs> uh, I was just a baby freelancer back then. <laughs> I remember that the 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 the, uh, the PFS room that first year was so tiny, but it was so full. Uh, nobody <laughs> expected to sell that many copies of that core rulebook. Um, anyway, if you want to check us out, nodirectionpodcast.com. We also have a Discord server uh, that has one of the chillest Pathfinder communities uh, to chat around with us and uh, the, our community members. The occasional Pazo staff drops in. It's just a great place to hang out and chat, and it's super chill. We don't let uh, that place become uh, toxic at all. Uh, and if you just want to check us out, our stuff is free. And if you love these interview segments especially, uh, that is one of the content we're most known for. You're going to see some excellent insight into the games and how it's made and how these fantastic creative people like Adam uh, managed to get these wonderful ideas into print and PDF and into your hands. Also, big maps and stuff. Uh, we want to thank Sirenscape for the music. We want to thank the OP team for what they're doing to make this happen. We want to thank Paizo for helping also to make this happen, as well as the other partners. Uh, we especially want to thank Peyton for helping uh, section us together. We want to thank the Frog Hemoth. Uh, think that was that was that the Bestiary Two? <laughs> Alex Shiver made a mention of uh, the Frog Hemoth. Yeah, Bestiary yeah. Two arrived they're, finally. Yes, so they're making Boom. me. Evidently, I'm being uh, 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 kill not kill hauled uh, press ganged into making you a Frog Hemoth miniature, uh, which I will totally deliver on. But uh, we'll be back in five minutes. We won't be, but the stream will be back with Band of Bravos. Uh, you do not want to miss that. It's a fantastic piece of content uh, and there's some excellent players and an excellent GM. So we will be signing off now. Uh, anything, last thing any of y'all want to say? Uh, I have a great want to think, Yeah, I want to thank No Direction for everything that y'all have done during all of this. And I want to thank everyone listening for listening and playing games and having a good time. All righty. Everybody, have a fantastic MazoCon. Thank you.
Auto Direction Network's PaizoCon Online 2020 seminar coverage was made possible by the KDCon team, consisting of Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param, Ryan Costello, Alexander Gunis, Vanessa Hoskins, Randall Meyer, Dustin Knight, and John Godek. Special thanks to Paizo's social media producer, Peyton Smith, and the entire Paizo staff. For more great Pathfinder, Starfinder, and other RPG news, reviews, podcasts, and blogs, check out NoDirectionPodcast.com.